would, stand and follow along as I read God's word. This is John 15, starting in verse 1. It reads, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for a friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will be so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from my father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This is God's word. I'm going to pray for Kevin before we begin. Dear Lord, I just pray over Kevin um, as he um, shares uh, the gospel with us today that we are reminded of the covenant 
um, that we partake in, Lord, that we are reminded that we do not uphold our end of the covenant perfectly at all, but Father, you do. You are faithful, and that is the gospel. A faithful Father who perfectly loves us and upholds a broken bride. And so I just pray that you give Kevin peace as he preaches on your word today. And I pray that you would help us to open our hearts to receiving these words, Lord, soften our hearts. Amen. Welcome once again to Karas Church. It's great to see um, people more and more beginning to trickle back in coming back home here on Sunday mornings, gathering together. My wife and I were reminiscing the other day about our first mission trip that we went together to Haiti, um, where we first started dating, so mission trip dating for the win. But um, anyway, I was over somewhere in the compound doing some painting, and she was um, serving as a nurse, and she was doing injections, and she kept repeating these words kind of loudly, for each person that was about to get the shot that she would say back in the stage. She would say really loudly, big stick, big stick. And anyway, I wonder, you know, if the, um, if the um, people that actually were fluent in English, if they just wondered, hey, am I about to get clawed by a tree branch? What's going on here? Um, but she gave them the shot, and I think they eventually got it cleared up. But what I've been saying here over the last few weeks in this series, it's been some hard stuff, and today might be some of the hardest, but I hope you don't hear it as like a, a club. The more is just an injection of something that we all need to be reminded of today. Um, another trip that we were on a couple of years ago, um, we, my wife, you may know if you've been on social media at all, she's um, pretty passionate about Taco Bell, but you may know that. I don't understand it. Um, the kids can't really stand it anymore. But um, we stopped on the way through Illinois, and we, we got to this particular Taco Bell, and man, they were having a bad day. They were understaffed. took forever to get the food, and what we got was bad, right? Like they, I think they were using the same oil that they used for the last year. I don't know what it was. But it was like Taco Bell, like normal Taco Bell, just worse. Right. Now, there's been a lot of talk in our culture today about getting back to normal, but that's really the way so many of us have experienced the pandemic, like normal, but just worse. I quoted our first week together this article from a science writer in the Atlantic named Ed Wong, and he writes these words that I think are really challenging. The coronavirus found, exploited, and widened every inequity that the U.S. had to offer. Elderly people, already pushed to the fringes of society, were treated as acceptable losses. Women were more likely to lose jobs than men, and also shouldered extra burdens of childcare and domestic work while facing rising rates of domestic violence. In half the states, people with dementia and intellectual disabilities face policies that threaten to deny them access to life-saving ventilators. Thousands of people endured months of COVID-19 symptoms that resembled those of chronic post-viral illnesses, only to be told that their devastating symptoms were in their head. Latinos were three times as likely to be infected as white people. Asian Americans faced racist abuse. Far from being a great equalizer, the pandemic fell unevenly upon the U.S., taking advantage of injustices that had been brewing throughout the nation's history. So 2020, 2021, like normal, but for many of us, just worse. 
What's more, is this season really exposed some of the issues going on in our country, things that were going on behind the counter? The author goes on and um, says this, the COVID-19 debacle has also touched and implicated nearly every other facet of American society. It's short-sighted leadership, it's disregard for expertise, it's racial inequities, it's social media culture, and it's fealty to a dangerous strain of individualism. So weakness just slammed our proud country, exposing all of our issues, and in the process hurting the weak even more. But here's maybe the thing that I think is most tragic. The American Evangelical Church surrounded by millions of hungry, hurting people, I think served up the equivalent of some soggy, nasty burritos. The normal, just worse. We've largely met the struggles around us with, I think, a lack of love, and I think the pa pandemic exposed what's going on in us as much as anything. Well, here soon, we'll get back into our study through the, the book of Galatians, as well as our monthly rhythm through the Psalms, but today's the third and final part of this mini-series that we've been through in the book of John, John 15, called Returning to the Vine. The first week, we reminded of our need to uh, abide in Him. The second week, of our need to love one another. And today, we're going to talk about our calling to bear fruit for Him. And I'll follow kind of a similar outline that I follow each, each week. First, we'll talk about what we've all seen. Second, we'll look at what Jesus calls us to. Third, we'll look at what our world needs. And fourth, we'll think about what God might intend. So I'll start with the first stuff, the fun stuff first, what we've all seen. So what symptoms have come to the surface during this season from this sickness spreading through our spirituality? Let's think about this through three lenses. Let's first take our approach to the pandemic. Now, I think we started out by comparing COVID to the common flu. Everybody shared that pandemic video, if you remember that. That went viral overnight, and then everything went south from there. Protesting Christians resisted mock health orders and officials. They made life miserable for school administrators and teachers. We saw people with Christian t-shirts Refuse masks and distancing, ridiculing that, flaunting their liberty, fighting for their rights, while ignoring the concerns of the vulnerable around them. When it became more and more clear that people of color, our elderly population, essential workers were all suffering and dying at higher rates, folks turned their backs or just called them necessary losses. Churches fought back, trying to meet no matter the risk. They ignored the guidelines. They kept rolling, not really thinking about their community and certainly not the suffering around the world. But second, take our attitude toward injustice. When one police shooting turned into several, those in the evangelical world tended to just dig their heels in even more, refusing to listen, dismissing concerns, protesting the protests high-fiving those in power rather than extending a hand to the powerless? Not only that, with itching ears, we gathered around us teachers who would tell us exactly what we wanted to hear. Those that would preach, if you say Black Lives Matter, you know, you're endorsing this really messed up organization. 
all the while knowing that most black Americans had no affiliation with or affinity toward that group, the same people would say, you have to resist this, this terrible teaching, you know, critical race theory. Well, they well knew that most black Christians and leaders couldn't care less about CRT. They were just expressing their pain and calling out for change. They mock social justice, calling it another false gospel. They label anyone who called out oppression woke or liberal or Marxist. And those type of teachings, the ones that just assure people in the majority that they're right and encouraging them to stop up their ears even more, it's still just getting thrown around daily on the internet today, and it's wrong, folks. But in doing that, we're also just repeating the mistakes of the past. From the days of the Civil War to the Civil Rights era, or the, the days of Jim Crow, where white Christians are saying the same things, stop being a liberal now, just stick to the gospel, why are you talking about that? And instead of speaking truth to power and lifting up the weak as Jesus did, we just perpetuate the oppression. Well, if you're not having enough fun yet, let's third talk about our pursuit of power. How can we ever forget the Jesus 2020 signs that were marched through the Capitol on January 6th. Now those posters said far less about our love for Jesus than they did about what we truly desire, that we would be in power and somehow usher in this Christian nation. Maybe you've heard over the last few months the term Christian nationalism. Matthew McCullough defines it this way, as an understanding of American identity and significance held by Christians wherein the nation is a central actor in the world historical purposes of the Christian God. So America is a new kind of Israel. Whoever leads us to prosperity is some kind of Messiah. And Jesus just ends up as a means to political power. From the months leading up to the election, we, in, in the storming of the Capitol and beyond, we haven't just seen people loving their country, but worshiping it. We've been far more committed to a political party and pursuing power for that party than following the King of Kings. As Pastor J.B. Greer recently put it, anytime the church gets in bed with politics, the church gets pregnant, and the offspring does not look like our Father in Heaven. Christian nationalism does not look like our dad. America is not in the Bible. And let me tell you, that teaching is far more dangerous than critical race theory will ever be. So what have we seen in the last couple of years throughout America, and I think tragically even within the church, an almost complete lack of love for neighbor? Well, let's contrast that and let's turn second to what Jesus calls us to, to fruit-bearing mission. To fruit-bearing mission. So not just love for God, not just love for our brothers and sisters, but love for our neighbors, where we call our friends, call our co-workers into the love that our triune God has been experiencing throughout eternity. We glorify God by bearing this fruit, verse 8 tells us. And we display that we're truly His as we do. It reads this way. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He's, he's chosen us for that reason, says verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. 
So he, out of his good pleasure, he's picked us to go into the world making disciples, having ministry impact that will last forever. He says more. He calls us to fruit-bearing mission that's empowered by him. And this is throughout the passage. In the rest of verse 16, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Bearing fruit, seeing people around us come to Jesus, comes through his power as we call out to him in prayer. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. Jesus calls us to abide, and he tells us if we don't, you're not going to bear any fruit. And then he follows up with these powerful words. Verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. It's not that we can't really do anything, right? We just can't do anything of eternal value without Him. There's again this invitation in verse 7 to to call out in in prayer to ask. And then in the final words of verse 15, there's this mention of a helper. Verses 26 and 27, Jesus telling us He's giving us His Spirit so that we can bear witness. So we can tell the nations what Jesus has done, that the Spirit can actually do it through us. This fruit-bearing mission that's empowered by Him comes with the expectation of suffering. So beginning in verse 18, Jesus reminds us of this. The world hated Him, it'll hate us too. The servant can't be greater than his master. If he suffered through it, so shall we. But then he says, hey, if they hurt us, though, it's not really about us. It's really about him. It's really about his father. And as people persecute the people of God, it really reveals who they are, where they're truly coming from. So here in John 15, Jesus calls us to fruit-bearing mission, empowered by him with the expectation of suffering. But here again is what I think is so tragic. I think what we're so much seeing today is very much the opposite of what we see here. Instead of suffering through persecution, we're often the perpetrators of it. Instead of godly works, the fruit of the Spirit, it's often people lashing out from the flesh, especially on social media. And instead of bearing the fruit that will last and last, it's so often of the wrong kind, and it has to grieve the vine and the vine dresser. But before I go on, you might be wondering, so what's your agenda here, Kevin? Are you just wanting to dog Christians in America? Are you, you complaining? Are you in a bad mood? You know, what's, the, what's your point? But here's an objective that's been close to my heart through this series, is I so much want to encourage you and embolden you as we move ahead together. It's not hard to get discouraged today. What we've seen and what we've been through has been so hard. Our church coming out of COVID looks different. But let me tell you also what I'm seeing. I'm also seeing a lot of health and a lot of growth and a lot of reasons to be encouraged. And I do think, although we're not perfect, that we were pretty well prepared for this crisis against this deeper disease that spread through our land. And I think, by God's grace, you've largely been immune to it. Because I think you've had gospel antibodies flowing through you for some time. I've seen the life of the binding. I've seen you taking gift cards to nurses who are struggling. 
I've seen some of you learn how to sew just so you can make masks for kids. You've prepared meals for neighbors. You've shared Jesus with strangers. You've spoken up for the voiceless. You've marched against injustice. There's nothing normal about you, Karis. And I see God changing you and making you even more beautiful, so be encouraged. One more question I think that many of us have asked about the available vaccines is, will we need to get them again, right? Will this be more like the measles, where you get it once in your life, or will this be something you get every year, like the flu shot, right? I want you to think of this, because I know you and love you and I'm encouraged by you. I want you to think of this more like a booster shot, right, that just reminds you of what Jesus wants, of what God's word says, that continues to inoculate you against this deeper, more dangerous disease and leaves you healthy and energetic as we face our world going forward, as we carry the gospel from here to the ends of the earth. So also be emboldened, Carlos. Let me jump back into my outline. Third, let's talk about what our world needs. So if you haven't been listening thus far or you're really angry thus far, this is what I want you to hear. Okay, This is the important stuff. What's the treatment of a better, bigger gospel and a greater king and kingdom? A better, bigger gospel and a greater king and kingdom. Let's take each of those. We need first a better, bigger gospel. So sometimes... I'll hear about, I'll have a conversation about these things, maybe talking about injustice, that kind of thing, and someone will respond with, you know, stick to the gospel, man. But here's my response. Your gospel is not awesome enough. It's not. We often talk about here in Paris about seeing the gospel from two vantage points, and both of them are important, from the ground and from the air. So the view from the ground could be summarized this way. God sent Christ's response. Our Lord made us and owns us. We've turned from Him in rebellion. We've all sinned, and Christ died to bring us back into fellowship with His Father. And our response is to repent of our sins, to turn from them, and to turn to Jesus in faith. So God sent Christ's response. We could call this the gospel of the cross. But there's another perspective that we can't forget. The view from the air, where we can see the big picture. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration from the air. So God made everything, including us. He called it good, but we fell into sin. And with us, the, the creation fell under a curse. Jesus came to earth to redeem it all. You and me, along with everything. And one day he'll come back. He'll make everything right again. He'll raise our bodies. He'll renew this world. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. This could be called the gospel of the kingdom. Tim Keller, in this definition of the gospel, really tries clearly to preserve both angles that I think are so important. <coughs> Keller writes, Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin and the fellowship with Him, and then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with Him forever. Both perspectives are so important. I think it's at the root of a lot of the problems that, that aren't getting sorted through today. If we just emphasize the view from the ground, 
it just becomes all about me. It becomes all about us, about our souls, about our sin, about our salvation. But if we also get the aerial view, and if we understand the view from the air, we'll look forward to the day when peace and justice reigns. When all ethnic groups will live in harmony. When our bodies will be made whole. We'll see what the Lord is doing in history. And we will not be people who work against it. We'll long for it. We'll even labor for it. But back to the view from the ground. And hear me. We have to preserve this as well. We can't just emphasize the other. Because we are in need of salvation. Our souls need to be rescued. But if that is true, if we've been truly forgiven, if the cross of Jesus has changed our lives, what will the fruit of that be? Love, right? Love. We will be overwhelmed by the kindness that he has shown to us, and it will spill out to those around us. So hear me, folks. We need a gospel that goes wide enough to include all the scope of history, all the brokenness around us, and we need a gospel to go deep enough to transform the very darkest parts of our hearts. So we need a more awesome gospel. Here's the second thing that our world needs, a greater king and kingdom. A greater king and kingdom. I want you to do something with me now. I just want you to envision the end. If it helps, you can close your eyes. But just think about what we'll see when Jesus returns, what we'll experience for all eternity. Who's on the throne? What's his name? What's he like? It's Jesus, the King of Kings, the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. The lion, the lamb, the shepherd of our souls, the bridegroom of the church, Jesus, who will be there around his throne. What will the crowd look like? Chinese Christians? A lot of those. Iraqi disciples? People from America? People from Cuba? People from Kenya? People from Brazil? Every tribe and tongue and nation from every era of history standing and singing to the king. Let's keep going. Well, what will his reign look like? His kingdom? Won't it be a kingdom of peace? Some of the images of, of Isaiah will experience no more wars, no more oppression, no more sickness, pain, or, or tears. Think, think Revelation 21 and 22. It'll be a place of perfect justice, right? What will we be doing in that kingdom forever and ever and ever? Loving him, serving him, loving others, serving them too. Yes, I think working, but not as sinners anymore and working for his glory and for the good of those around us. As it's put in Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the king, the kingdom, the hope, the future that we should all dream of and long for. But come back to the, the present with me. If Jesus is our king, and that's our kingdom, shouldn't that change the way we live here in America? If we long for this king and this kingdom, we would worry far less about being in power here and now. You know, we're following the Lord who gave up all of that when he came to earth. 
we would be far more willing to serve those around us, to lay down our lives as he did and as John talks about here, it would go a long way in making Christianity beautiful again here. America is not our home. It's not our hope. We can love our country, and I do, without worshiping our country. Some would say America first, but Jesus tells us what? To seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. Neither Trump, nor Biden, nor Obama, or, nor Reagan, none of them are our king. Jesus is. They never will be. They're not our hope. And we are not a people of either the elephant or the donkey, but we are children of the lamb. So, brothers and sisters, let's not sell our souls. Let's stop trading down. We have Jesus. We have a kingdom that will last forever. We have a gospel that's rich and full and deep. That's what the world needs, and man, it's what we so desperately need. Fourth, let's consider what God might intend. We believe God is sovereign here in Karas and even over suffering. He's in control. Even over big suffering like COVID, he has a purpose for it all, even if we can't see it or understand it. But we know that he's working for his glory and he's working for our good. Don't forget the other character in this story, the vine dresser. What's he doing? He's caring for the vine. Verse 2. Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser of the Father, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So he's doing two things. Taking some branches away, judging them. Verse 6 says that he throws them into the fire. And he's pruning others, cutting them back so they'll grow back healthier. And what's the main factor? What's in his mind? Why is he cutting some away and cutting some back? And it's so that we would bear fruit. The fruit is his motivation. Verse 8 says that shows our fruit, whether or not we're truly a disciple. Jesus is removing, his father is removing from his church people who aren't really his, those who are bearing bad fruit. And for those who are bearing fruit, but not as much as they could be, he's cutting us back. Why? So that more fruit can be produced. That's what the vine dresser is doing. So as we look around our country, and I think around the world, churches are being taken away. Others are getting cut back. That's what's happening with people as well. Some are leaving, never to return. Some are coming out of the suffering wounded, but different. And it all has to do with God's plan to transform the people to produce kingdom fruit. It seems like the Lord is cleaning up and cleaning out his church, and that is hard, but we have to trust it's good. What else could God be doing here in America through this crisis? Perhaps bringing clarity to our purpose. Who's really our king? What kingdom are we passionate about? What gospel do we proclaim, and do we really, really grasp his love enough that others would see it and experience it in us? God could also be reviving and refocusing our mission together. Well, as with the other weeks, I want to leave you with four questions, or I guess this is typical of me, but there are four clusters of questions. But you to take as you go. First, as you look at your life, 
over the past couple of years, what are ways that you think you need to repent? How have you been caught up in the spirit of our age? And I know we all have. Second, how might God be calling you back into fruit-bearing mission? What are ways you've served in your own strength? How have you shied away from mission out of fear? One thing I haven't even talked about is just our tendency, I think, towards selfishness and us getting our toilet paper during this time. Third, how does your understanding of the gospel need to change? Have you placed too much hope in the kings and kingdoms of this world? And fourth, what are ways you might sense God pruning you? How might he be growing you? How might he be revealing to you even that you're not a Christian and that you need to come to him? Okay, so I already gave you a one purpose at the beginning of this series, just the hope that, that the Lord would encourage us and embolden us. But the second thing that I kind of said that our first week together is just this desire that God might revive us and grow us, that he might wake us up from our slumber and use this to transform us into something new. In that first week together, I, I quoted a man named Ray Orland who was interviewed on his podcast by his wife, Janie. And he talked about how God had worked through trials back in the 60s to bring renewal. And then she just said, what should we do now? How should we think about things now? And he answered in a really simple but beautiful way. He said, you know, first of all, yeah, ask God for big things. Ask God to bring revival in this church and across our land. Ask for that. But then he says, get down to doing the little things. Right? Taking the next step. Um, being faithful. In, in abiding in him and loving those around you and seeking to bear fruit among your neighbors. Maybe our God just wants us to, to get back, and especially as we're kind of starting to file our way back in, is just get down to basic Christian living and ministry, and as we're doing, just beg God to pour gas on that flame and to do something amazing in our land. Here's the truth. Here's our hope. Jesus is still divine, the source of our life. He invites us to abide. He's made us his branches. He's brought us into a family of love. He's called us to bear fruit. And he's sending us out, not by ourselves, but empowered by his spirit. And his father is still the vine dresser. He is still tending to the vine. He's pruning it back. He's making us new. And the Lord is not very concerned about getting things back to normal. This has been a rough, rough season. But summer is here. This isn't the first crisis in world history. God is still sitting on his throne and we can rest that he has a purpose for his people. May this church wake us up. May it bring gospel growth. May it encourage us. May it embolden us in love for our neighbors, in bearing fruit. Let's pray. Oh Lord, um, just help us, Lord, as we, we process what you tell us here in John. But just also kind of what we've been going through. I, I know that my take isn't um, a God's eye view. It, it may be different from some others here. But, um, Lord, it's been challenging. And I know you want to teach us. You want to guide us back to you. Um, Father, just open our hearts. Um, humble us. Um, allow us to see our weakness 
so that we can see your strength and can be strengthened and renewed by you. And we just ask you, Lord, um, to, to have your way in us and um, use us as your people as we try to love our city. Lord, I, I, I know that, that you've used us in a lot of ways, but I know there's so many ways that we need to learn and grow and change. And um, bring us there, Lord, I pray, by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.